You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hi, Valerie. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, um, been hearing about your ministry for some time, and uh, um, you've been a good partner, great partner in our ministry here in New York City. So I just want to uh, let you introduce yourself to our audience, and uh, then we'll start. Sure, Alphonse. It's great to be here. Um, so I'm currently the New York City Area Director for ISI, International Students Incorporated. Uh, we're a ministry that focuses on reaching international students at universities and colleges, uh, and I happen to lead the New York City area team. Uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, but I've been a New Yorker now for almost 16 years. That's awesome. So tell, tell us uh, uh, how, you, how you made the transition from uh, uh, Pennsylvania to New York City, uh, and what what cause you to move here? Well, I actually came primarily to work with the international population of New York City. I just understood that the nations really are here, the opportunity to reach unreached people groups and to work with the largest collection of international students in the whole country, uh, which is right here in the New York City metro area. That was really my motivating factor for coming here. To, to make disciples among the nations by living uh, and ministering in New York City. Uh, my transition to New York City, of course, was not super easy, but I had to learn a lot about subway systems and city living transferring from the suburban life. So there, there's a lot more stories there, Alphonse, than we probably have time for today. No, that's all right. So uh, why you... Um, I know that in Pennsylvania, you have great uh, schools and colleges and universities. Why not there? Why here? It, it was, the, was the decision based on uh, uh, a city setting or uh, was there something else? You know, I probably never would have chosen New York City on my own. Uh, but hmm. when I considered the possibility of working with international students, I had some connections here in New York City through a missions organization. And it seemed like a good place to start by working on a team. Uh, after I'd been here for a while, I, I grew to love New York. Um, I still definitely see the work and the need in Pennsylvania and some of the larger cities like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia the same kind of ministry can be done. But there is something about New York that's very unique. And I just have grown to love this city and, and being here, and particularly the collection of nations uh, that are here. So Valerie, in your experience in New York City, do you think it's easy to adjust here if the person is moving from uh, outside of New York City? What, what 
kind of things uh, the person should be looking into? Is there a cultural training for that person? Um, give us some some uh, advice. Well, I think um, maybe some of the advice that I now give to new people is to treat their first couple of years uh, really as an adventure and a learning curve and a little bit of an initiation into being a New Yorker. Um, hmm. Everyone needs to collect some stories about the subways and apartments uh, and you know surprising things that you see on the street. It is, it is definitely a culture shock. I definitely went through culture shock uh, when I moved here. And it took me a while um, to get used to it. So I, you know, I give advice, kind of practical things that range from how to use subways to just learning to see the joy uh, around us in the people, in the diversity, in the culture and opportunities that are just very different than a suburban area um, lifestyle. I guess the phrase I use a lot is just, uh, unfortunately, it's been used a lot in the pandemic, but it is a different kind of normal. Uh, instead of grocery shopping with your car, you tend to grocery shop uh, by walking, carrying or using a cart. Uh, so I just try to help people think about it being normal. If, if 8 million people can live here and do life, then people can adjust here. Uh, and as soon as the, the framework shifts from you know, everything I left behind was better to, I want to learn how to do this just like many others do and embrace it and find the beauty and the joy. Um, there's a lot of adventures waiting, a lot of great New York moments to be had. Wow. So uh, you talked about uh, the pandemic. Uh, let's switch uh, conversation to this pandemic we've been going through for some time now. Um, how has your ministry been affected by this pandemic? Do we have a uh, um, lot of uh, students who are looking for help? Is there anything the church can do? Is there anything that uh, people who do not live in New York City can do? Um, anything that you want to share um, uh, about your ministry context here, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess I could say a few things from the pandemic. Um, Certainly, we all had to do the famous word pivot and move everything online, just like churches did. We took our entire ministry online. We uh, still hosted a Christian fellowship that actually grew online. We uh, began reaching out to new students that were coming in, and that all took place through online events and conversation opportunities. We uh, started an English matching opportunity where instead of hosting local English groups with mostly New York Christians, we matched people for English conversation with Christian volunteers all over the country that were willing to do one-on-one -on -one with a student. And I've heard some wonderful stories of witness that have come out of that. Uh, I think for some of our team, uh, I'm thinking of, of one team in particular they they had a hard time connecting with new students, particularly students from a Muslim background. So instead, they had the opportunity to connect with former students online that were searching. Uh, so that was exciting to hear conversations about Jesus taking place through social media. I know another uh, one of our teams focused a lot on training and building up their Christian students for the hope of you know, reproducing discipleship. 
one of our teams, uh, we have a group of Japanese Christian students that led uh, another friend of theirs to Christ through starting two online uh, Bible study seeker groups, uh, all on Zoom, all with their, their friends. Uh, we've seen, I think there's still some Bible studies uh, continuing with some Muslim students, as well as a Bible study that was started with the Pakistani student. And again, all of this, uh, we had an intern join us during this time. Uh, we really still continue to meet students, but it has been hard. Um, I know of other colleagues in other areas where uh, students have really felt isolated and alone. And being able to just meet with them on Zoom and, and, and talk interpersonally, really have a deeper connection during this time. Uh, the, the phrase has been used, you know, we're not looking for entertainment, you know, like more events. We're looking for friendship. We're looking for real connection. And we've done our best to try to do that. Um, now, we've also been able to bring on a new church partner uh, during this season. And we look forward to training them for future work. But those that have been involved with us during this time uh, have just continued to open their uh, time, their relationship with students. We've seen uh, professional mentoring happening online, uh, some people using their professional skills to do workshops and then doing follow up individually with students and trying to build uh, relationships where they could share their faith. So we, any church that has a group of believers willing to contribute time, uh, hospitality, you know, insights from their, uh, you know, their work experience, all of these things, actually, it's a welcome mat that we can roll out for students arriving uh, from other countries that don't know anyone. Um, we even saw, I'm actually thinking back a year, uh, we even had one volunteer uh, throw a couple of graduation parties outdoors because students couldn't graduate. They were all graduating virtually. And um, one uh, volunteer was able to share about Christ with a student from Saudi all during the pandemic. And so it's been hard for us, but we've also seen God's spirit still at work. And that, that's been tremendously encouraging for all of us. That, that's really good to hear. I, I heard both uh, uh, some of those were challenges, items, and the other things were more encouraging items. But you did talk about a little bit about Muslim. Twice you made the reference to Muslim uh, students. So as we record this uh, podcast episode, uh, we are going through Ramadan uh, 2021. And uh, I, I just want to hear from you for the sake of our audience. Uh, um, what What is it? What is it that a Christian believer can do during Ramadan for a Muslim student who might be missing his family, uh, just uh, flew here uh, for for this uh, year, doesn't have uh, family here, international student? What, what, what would you recommend to a Christian believer individually, then a church, and how your ministry, your uh, uh, campus ministry is involved in this kind of uh, uh, um, seasonal celebration? Yeah, this is where we definitely have faced a lot of challenges and more restrictions. Um, in the past, during Ramadan, our uh, team members are actually able, it's a one of the best opportunities all year to 
get into wonderful spiritual conversations uh, with Muslim students by attending Ramadan uh, iftar dinners uh, hosted on campuses. And that opportunity, you know, uh, last year and this year was taken away. And so we have opportunity to attend events online, um, but nothing is the same as sitting next to somebody at dinner time and having long, uh, meaningful conversations about our faith. Uh, so that's been a frustration this year. However, um, uh, wherever we've had the opportunity to do in-person things, um, we our intern, I know, has reached out intentionally in that way. So for this Ramadan, a lot of our, uh, and we have some restrictions, some of us from the university that even doesn't allow us to do some in-person things. So we have uh, resorted a great deal to prayer, um, understanding this is a, a time of waiting and planting seeds and also keeping good trust with university for next year. Uh, but normally we would want to uh, invite students into our home. We'd want to attend their dinners and also, you know, even deliver some uh, treats or sweets for the celebration times. Uh, normally students would, would have some of these iftar dinners themselves and we'd try to attend. But again, we've, we've been a lot more limited uh, during this past season. So uh, do you think we should be, uh, so I he heard uh, uh, advice, but do you think uh, people should be afraid when they are reaching out to some of the folks coming from countries where, uh, I mean, international students coming from countries where pandemic is uh, really, really bad. I know um, uh, in Pakistan, it's really bad. In India, it's really, India is actually uh, going through a really, really tough time right now. Uh, and also there are several other places too. So if, when students come here, should we, should we be concerned when we are interacting with international students? So my, my policy with my team um, has generally been to follow the CDC guidelines and to be, uh, you know, safe, but to also follow the leading of the spirit. And we have found that instead of quantity, we have been, uh, I guess, pushed into a place of focusing on quality of relationship. So wherever we're not limited by the restrictions of the university, um, because one of our teams is, if we, if we break that law, we sort of break that trust, um, which we wanna hold for the long term. But other members of our team have hosted smaller gatherings uh, where students are invited and have just practiced you know, safety measures. I, I'll tell you, Alphonse, I'm a person that prefers to uh, step out in appropriate risk uh, to follow Christ where needs are present and to, uh, to follow kind of the examples of a lot of Christians in history that have taken appropriate risk. So I don't mean foolish risk, but if someone needs my help or someone is lonely in that sense, and I, it's a, a calculated risk that I know is worth taking um, I personally would make the decision to step out, uh, assuming that that's where God was leading me. Thank you so much. So let me switch our topic um, um, 
now that you have uh, finished your doctorate, so congratulations, Dr. Valerie. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I just wanted to talk about your research. I know that you were very excited about this topic. And uh, I'm going to move my mic toward the... So I can read... um, a short portion from your uh, uh, dissertation. So on page uh, 21, explaining why you are uh, looking into this topic, you said, my personal interest in this topic is drawn from the observation I have made within my 15 years of service in New York City thus far. And I assume that you're planning to stick around longer. So that's great. (laughs) The first observation you said is of, of course, that the nations are here. The second observation is that my Christian predominantly Caucasians uh, move to many Christians, sorry, that many Christians predominantly, uh, predominantly Caucasians. Okay, that I was right. So Caucasians move to New York City from Bible Belt locations with a passion to reach those from unreached people group arriving here. And uh, then you go into the third observation, but I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But let me ask you, when you say... Um, Location with a passion to reach those, I mean, Bible bed locations with a passion to reach those from unreached people group arriving here. Are you insinuating that uh, folks do not go to those areas, Bible Belt locations? Uh, from So is there a lack of international community in those uh, colleges and universities? Um, so that's like a very low uh, um, key question. But the most importantly, uh, I I wanted to know the relevancy uh, of this study with those who are uh, somewhere else outside of New York City. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the first question, you know, definitely unreached people groups are scattered all throughout the United States. Um, And so those of us that are here that are believers, have an opportunity just about everywhere we go. Um, I heard, I think one author I'd, I'd read, I don't remember which one, just, you know, someone said, we don't have anybody in our town. And he was like, just start looking. And, you know, you start to notice when you look that there are international people all around us now. We're in a globalized world and we have a high rate of, uh, you know, migration into the United States. And so just about everywhere is touched now by this globalized uh, world that we're in. So, uh, but New York City has a really strong reputation because we are uh, a gateway city where a large number and large, uh, you know, percentage of people groups that are represented here. Um, I can walk two blocks from my apartment and be at the Tibetan Center, uh, cultural center, and that's an unreached people group, or I can walk a little farther and get to the Turkish cultural center in my neighborhood. Um, I can go a little farther and just be surrounded by Thai restaurants in Elmhurst. And so the the concentrations in New York City are quite large. I think that attracts people and attracts workers. Uh, And this was where some ministries were launched, uh, particularly to reach unreached people groups. So New York City has quite the the magnetic draw, I think, both missionally and just just because it's a fascinating place. So then, uh, yeah, wonderful answer. So that means, uh, let me start. So you are, uh, you are you living in uh, Queens? That's that's the area we are talking about. Yes, I live in Queens. 
Okay, so do you want to talk about how uh, Queens is different from Manhattan or Bronx or Brooklyn, or is it is it when especially in the context of uh, international students' uh, campus ministry, is it different from uh, other boroughs? Uh, what, 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 where, so if I'm coming to New York to uh, work with your agency, um, what is the best place? Should I come to Manhattan, find an apartment here or Queens? What do I need to do? Well, there's a couple of answers in that question. Um, I mean, if you're coming to work with international students specifically with us, you could live just about anywhere. Uh, cost of living in Manhattan is pretty high. And so there's only a few campuses uh, like Columbia. There's some affordable housing up there at Columbia University. But otherwise, students tend to commute into schools like Hunter and NYU, uh, some of the those kinds of schools from more affordable locations like Queens and Brooklyn and Jersey City or Roosevelt Island. So if someone was coming to work with us, it all depends on what school they wanted to be close to and then figuring out where students live. Um, so all that being said, Queens, um, if I'm looking at this through you know, two different lenses, just from an unreached people group status, uh, the residents of Queens, I think Queens is the most diverse county in the nation. It might be in the world, but I haven't found a proof for that yet. But, you know, everyone is here in Queens. Uh, and then I know that international students also live in Queens. They'll live along some of the train or express lines where they can commute quickly into where their schools are. Uh, so just about everywhere in New York, you know, you're going to find uh, a grouping of people. I think um, or of unreached people uh, and there's also opportunity to reach students. Again, just depends on your your particular campus. Um, or people groups that you're looking to reach. So the study, let's go back to your research. Um, you said the study's aim or the your, your research study aims to uncover insights that would bridge uh, the gap you describe in your uh, um, document, which is basically people are here. They do not, uh, New Yorkers do not know that there are unreached people here, right? in their own neighborhoods and you two of the things I already mentioned. And the fourth one observation was that the fourth was uh, that despite many mobili mobilization efforts, there remains a gap between groups who move to New York City to engage in this task and the missional culture and uh, uh, ideation. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. No, ideation. Ideation. What is yeah. ideation, by the way? <laughs> yeah, just, just the what the idea of missions is. Okay, that, ideation I mean. of, yep, got it. Ideation of those who are truly local to this community. And I'm assuming those who were born here, who've been living here for some time. So then you go into this, uh, um, your your aim of your study is to uncover insights that would bridge the gap and the gospel, the missional culture of New York City believers forward, specifically among unreached people group. So now help me. So I gave some context for our audience. So help us. What is this study? What did you really study? And what was your, uh, help us to understand some of the findings and how it's going to uh, fill that gap or bridge that gap? Sure. So the kind of the most simple way to explain it is to say that, you know, I, for example, grew up in a majority culture church in the suburbs that was very missions minded. 
And I benefited from a lot of missions awareness and missions materials that taught me about things like, you know, unreached people groups or other aspects of missions. So I could define for you global missions and some of the priorities and the needs. Um, what I found here when I started going to church in Queens, where I'm a minority in that community and in my church, and then I looked for missions material, mobilization material, like a class or videos that would help my own community understand missions and see themselves involved in it. And when I looked at missions mobilization materials, I realized um, that even though, you know, we're in a, an age of where, you know, nations all around the world are sending missionaries. It's not just what they call the West to the rest anymore. And I just realized there really wasn't material that showed that. So the principles might be the same, but the, the history, for example, is only Western church history or the people in the video or the backdrop pretty much looks like your standard uh, Caucasian suburban church uh, people. And again, in the context, nothing wrong with that. But in my context, how, how could I show um, to my, you know, Latino community, how they could reach out to Muslims? How could I raise awareness among the Filipino community in my church or the Asian American community to understand their strong um, bicultural ability that's there naturally, you know? So I, I just found that there was a gap and I'd like to help, <laughs> you know, produce something that would bridge that gap. So I, I wanted to show how there was also some proximity of story. Like I, I talked with um, a pastor at an urban uh, multicultural church in Brooklyn, and he was speaking about how uh, the stories of struggle that his church members had gone through whenever they did an overseas you know, short-term trip and they shared their testimony there was such a stronger connection with the local people and what they struggle with than what might come out of someone with a very comfortable lifestyle. So there, there's a lot to say there, but let me just uh, kind of boil it down. The, the results of my study uh, really showed that our overseas-born um, uh, participants in my study really were excited about the missions material, uh, especially the Filipinos. The Filipinos were the most excited about the missions material and the most eager to see it integrated into the church. I found that most people had never, ever before heard about unreached people groups. They had never considered that missions was different than just going overseas that they could actually help reach the nations by reaching their next door neighbor right here. Uh, that was an aha moment for people. Um, I, I, I discovered that uh, the material did cross ethnic lines, uh, like uh, multiple different ethnicities were part of my study and, and looking at the missions material that I chose. But they really could see that it was produced by a suburban audience or a suburban group, and they really wanted to see it 
more multi-ethnic and more urban to reflect their own stories and their own reality. Uh, so there's there's obviously a lot to say on that topic, but I really think, you know, if we're going to see uh, unreached people groups reached, it's it's going to be an urban uh, kind of mission. And there's bridges between those that are here and their friends and family all over the world. So I'm, I'm looking at how can we mobilize urban residents, Christians of all backgrounds and all different you know, varieties of whether they grew up here or came from overseas, how can they see themselves as an incredibly important part of this story? That you know, missions isn't something you only do overseas and it's not something that only white people do. It's a, a, an open door and an opportunity for everyone's involvement. Uh, so I, I really think we need uh, messaging, uh, missions material that shows that in a much broader way. That that's great, and I uh, I was reading reading your document in uh, in the conclusion section of uh, theoretical conclusion section. You said, um, and which which actually what you just explained, but you summed up the, in these words: the Western Church declines. And the strength of the church lies in the global south. We will likely continue to see migration from global south entering the United States. The trajectory is clear. Caucasians are on the decline. The North American church will undergo something of a demographic and personality adjustment as this uh, continues. Given the effectiveness of global south believers among a multi uh, multitude of uh, cultures and the often natural preparation of second generation believers to navigate cultural complexity may more uh, readily than those from uh, non-cultural background should not the mission mobilization mobilizers of the 21st century engage in deliberate change to be sure that we are mobilizing from a place of global theology global awareness and values that result in diversity of uh, representation and you said i believe so uh, so since you believe that, there's one question I have in that section too. And I was just, uh, it's, it's, first of all, I agree um, about the global south and the need to uh, help our uh, multi-ethnic uh, churches to um, be more missional uh, from, uh, from this uh, point of view that you are presenting. Um, so what are we going to do with the global theology? Because global theology is not like our theology. As a matter of fact, if anything, uh, um, there are movements that are deemed heresy and uh, wrong. What are we going to do with those? Did you uh, end up talking about that? Especially you were talking about Filipino. Filipinos have uh, within Filipino evangelical church or Christian churches, you will find these uh, prosperity gospel, claim, heal, and those kind of things. And there are various other things. Um, same thing goes with other um, um, Christians too, or, but especially in Africa, where the syncretism exists. Um, so what we're going to, Haitian church has the problem of voodoo and those things are also there. So what are we going to do with that uh, global, a place of global theology? Yeah, I, I guess I could say I'm not an expert in that area. Uh, <laughs> so I definitely didn't uh, have the opportunity to cover that fully in my study. Um, I guess That's fair. My, That's yeah, fair. My, That's my general fair. thinking is just for a call for Western Christians to be aware that sometimes we are reading scripture 
through our own framework uh, and that some other frameworks can shed light on things to see it differently. Uh, it doesn't mean that we accept everything that comes, but just to open our eyes to realize, oh, I, I actually had some American glasses on while I was reading. And if I take those off and I look at scripture through a different cultural lens, other things come to light. I, I think the average churchgoer has never thought of that. Uh, so, you know, it's an important thing to bring to light, but I can't go into more expert no, anything on that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I agree. And I think uh, when it comes to global theology, I still believe that there are good things there that we should learn from. They sure. got passion and they are doing, God is doing something there. So we need to definitely learn from them. And there are things that we need to fix um, here in our own theology that uh, come from uh, our uh, nation being one of the, you know, not one of the, we are still, we remain the superpower, we remain uh, dominant power in the world. So there is some some of that. So we, we have a lot of room to improve. But let me close with this. Uh, your, hypo uh, your hypothesis for this study was small group uh, attending at your church, which is New Life uh, Fellowship Church in uh, New York City, founded by uh, Pastor Pete Gazzaro, also founder of um, um, Emotionally Healthy Church, Discipleship, Marriage, several great uh, um, initiative within that movement. So you said uh, uh, you'd pick the group, you gave them six weeks momentum. That's the method you picked, momentum, yes, right? That curriculum. And you said in their small group uh, will increase in awareness of uh, identity in concern for and participation in God's global mission. So in one or two sentences, just tell me, after the studies, when you implemented that six-week uh, curriculum, did you find improvement in those areas? Yes, I did. So overall, okay. um, MomentumYes.com, which is, you know, as you mentioned, a six-week uh, small group video discussion curriculum on global missions, uh, it was most effective in the areas of awareness and identity. So understanding that there are unreached people groups and then understanding one's identity and being part of God's mission uh, to reach them, that they could do that throughout their normal life. Uh, concern had limited results and then participation, of course, was hit pretty hard by the pandemic. However, the intent to participate went up, prayer went up, an invitation of others to uh, take Momentum Yes also went up. So overall, I'd say it was a positive and effective tool and I'm excited for Momentum Yes. And I will recommend it heartily. Um, I would love for there also to be an updated tool that uh, showed more global and urban voices that's very similar to Momentum Yes. So that's my hope for the future. That's wonderful. Now. I'm going to close with the one last request. Can you tell us a joke? A joke? Yeah. Man, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> that's why I did not tell you about that. Oh, that's the problem, Alphonse. I <laughs> don't think I have any in like my back pocket ready to go. That's okay. If you can't uh, tell us a joke, you got to sing. <laughs> Okay, what am I supposed to sing? Anything. Doesn't matter. Uh, what's your favorite Broadway show or movie? Uh, give me Aladdin. 
Oh boy. Um, oh, what's that? What's the one on the carpet? The, ah, I just heard it the other day. Yeah. Why don't you tell me your favorite song? It could be him, a contemporary song, Broadway song, secular song, something that is super famous in New York City right now. It could be hip hop, whatever you want to pick. <laughs> I think I'll stick with Aladdin. Uh, okay. So I just Googled it. It's the uh, A Whole New World, okay? All right. I'm ready. Go All ahead. All right. A whole new world. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. There, that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And that brings uh, close to our episode. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, please tune in and uh, looking forward to hearing from our next guest next week. Until then, God bless you all. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.